Hello and welcome to What Goes Around podcast. I'm Eamon Murtagh. And I'm Deb Grant. And on this week's show... We're going to talk about a shout out that I got very recently from uh, a lovely person named Lauren Laverne. Gave me a little shout out in the newspaper. We're going to talk about that and the implications of that endorsement. And since it's St. Patrick's Day, we're going to talk about Dublin's finest, the horse lips and their magnificent new box set. We're going to talk about B-sides and uh, what the idea is behind putting a slightly crapper song on the flip side (laughs) of a record. What's that all about? And we're also going to be talking to Afrobeat legend Dele Shasimi. He is here picking his phonographic memories. So shall we get into it? Let's pod. We're potting, we're potting. <laughs> Nearly good, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Deb Grant, DJ for the stars. Tell me, what goes around in your mighty world? Deb Grant just doesn't sound the same as Anne Frankenstein, no, does he? No, we, we, we've got to get over it. I we can't, know, we can't start hard. every show now with like, uh, ooh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just not as spectacular. Well, just you know. doesn't roll off the tongue like like Anne Frankenstein did. Yeah. But thank you for making an effort. Um, yes, what goes around? Uh, I'm quite tired, as you can <laughs> possibly hear my voice. Pillow for Miss Grant. Pillow. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but that's that's good. I'm tired from from traveling and mm. from working, which is good. It's good to have a lot of work to do, and uh, also from uh, going back and forth a lot to Manchester to sit of in course. for Chris Hawkins on BBC Six, which has been absolute joy i don't think there's anywhere else where you get to play fucking what did i play i was playing a big daddy kane b-side on tuesday morning just like before half seven in the morning uh it's just like yeah uh, what what i always approve of uh big daddy kane getting played because he's he's a genius and uh, doesn't get played enough absolutely especially Especially at that that time time in the morning yeah yeah Yeah. so so that's been a that's been a thrill and a joy um, even though it involves me setting my alarm clock for 10 to 3 in the morning, that's 2.50, 2.50 a.m. that I have to get up. And uh, I don't really what, mind because it means I can... What time do you go to bed? 7 p.m. And 7 I love it. Yeah, I bet you do, yeah. <laughs> See, it swings around about, doesn't it? You know, it yeah. sounds very early. But then again, if you get to like half six and go, that's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was born actually to live on this schedule mm, uh, certainly yeah. at this age anyway I am yeah. just so much more into going to bed early and getting up early it's great also it means I get to add an extra meal to my itinerary oh, <laughs> I'm not good. sure how that's justified because how does it work how does that work um well I just eat more <laughs> <laughs> um just eat a lot all day I feel like it's one of those things you know how I mean the only other time when you might be getting up at that time a day is to catch a flight and yeah. on a day when I'm catching a flight it's just it's a point at the airport <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's just like you have to just extra just you just eat to break up the day yeah so, it's, it's a pre-breakfast we yes call it? yeah so yeah. I'll have something when I wake up and then I have soup when I get back to my Airbnb mm. at 8am 8, 8 and then I go off and I do my Jazz FM show and then I come back and I have another meal and then I have another meal as Doesn't sound like the worst life. Sounds good. It's, it's pretty good, but mm. um, you know the 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 crux of it is that I'm I'm really enjoying being on BBC Six, and mm. I had a really awesome moment. I was reading an article around uh, Six Music's twentieth birthday, and I saw my name pop up. Lovely, wonderful huh. Lauren Laverne, 
gave me yeah. a little name check. But the Mate. best part about it is, I mean, it's great to have her endorsement, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, she's so brilliant and so well-respected and so she's much. A, yeah. She and, is six music. She's it, like yeah. the living embodiment of. Exactly. So that was really kind of her to say that. But I love the fact that this has kicked off a whole idea about me. I love the implication in what she said she didn't say it explicitly, but there was a very strongly implied idea that I'm young, <laughs> <laughs> which I am really appreciative of. Yeah, the, the truth is, I'm not that much younger than her. <laughs> she, well, listen, it's, it's all about, um, you know, perception. And I think uh, you're young at heart. You know, well, I'm very you're, immature, if that's what you mean. Th- that's what I mean. You yes. know, I don't have kids. I'm very much geared towards yeah, having as much fun and as many meals as I possibly physically can mm-hmm. in any one day. You know, I've sort of not really, I not a big, you know, I've sort of made sure that my my priority in life is is uh, is having fun, having a good. That's what yeah. my dad likes to tell me. My whole life is a holiday, as you know. Um, so I'm very glad that I give that impression, and the longer I can keep that up, the feel I, I uh, the better I feel it will serve me throughout the course of my career. Yeah, I th- and I think, you know, that is a great piece of validation. We'd all like to have uh, something nice said by Lauren Laverne. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for her to mention that I've got a nice beard or something in passing, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll see. And uh, happy birthday, all you six music people. I was doing the uh, the What Goes Around tweet uh, sort of promotional thing the other day, and I was I was going to tweet all the, um, the nice people we've had from Six Music, like Craig Charles and Tom Ravenscroft. And then I realised that that includes you now. (laughs) That's really weird. (laughs) It is quite weird. It's weird for me too. It's very, like, I had to, um, when I was up there um, uh, a few weeks ago, they were sort of preparing content for the big 20th birthday celebrations. And they asked me to uh, record something just about what Six Music means to me and wishing them a happy birthday and stuff in the video I, my eye bags are so big that like my eyes almost look fused <laughs> together. So, you know, so you, you gotta, you're going to get up at 10 to 3. You're going to have wee yeah. bags. That's nothing, nothing to be worried Not about. Not the best also. time to be to be filmed for something. But um, it was just so weird being asked my like, why are you asking my? But I'm a listener. Why do I get to give my <laughs> two cents? Like, why do you care what I have to say? Um, so, yeah, it's just, oh, it's very weird. It's very, very weird. I mean, I used to like... When I had a, my first real job out of university, it was just like a boring office job, nine to five. And um, my um, housemate also had a boring office job working for a tights company where mainly this, this is kind of like it wasn't pre-website, but it was when people would call up and place orders for tights over the phone. And it right. seemed like it was about at least 25, 30 percent heavy breathing perverts that she had to deal with for most of <laughs> well, the Well, I day. had to do something in those days. I was bored. <laughs> but we used to both come into work in our respective jobs and turn on the radio to Six Music, George mm. Lamb, doing his morning show. Lammy. And we used to come home. I, people don't really talk about George Lamb. I'm not sure what the, the story is there. But I used to really enjoy his show in the mornings. And uh, me and Sasha, my housemate, used to come home and we used to just talk about how unfair it was. George Lamb just got to come in in the morning, arse around, play some music, 
three, four hours later, he was done with work for the day. We just couldn't yeah. believe that this was a legitimate, a legitimate and adult take job. take a look at you now, yeah. riding high on the pig's back, as my mum would say. You Indeed. enjoy it. Enjoy every minute. And well, we the shall implication be there with the pig's back phrase is that is, one yeah. day you're going to fall <laughs> off. <so. laughs> well, just hold on tight to the ears. That's what I say. Oh, that's what I'm trying to do. But, uh, but yes, it's, it's very surreal. But like I say, very nice to, to get a nod from Lauren and particularly appreciated the strong implication that I'm well up and coming sort of implies up and coming I liked that phrase that was good wasn't it yeah Yeah, it means you it means you've still got more to you know I'm just climbing up the pig's back yeah yeah good lass good lass well done well done Eamon Murda, I hear you've got something that's just for me. I hope you'll share it with the listeners too, what goes around. I will. Well, I've got, I have news of the horse lips. Ooh. <laughs> what was no. that big song that you Put him on. Do you know what? Having having uh, failed to convince anyone in the intros round of our Christmas special, <laughs> I feel yeah. totally unqualified to be singing that intro now, but uh, yeah. it feels good to do that. Put him under pressure. The classic. Put him uh, under pressure. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Big so, Jack. Um, I have news on the horse lips front. And uh, remember, like a few episodes back, I was complaining about people who were sending me um, playlists and mixes that were just stupidly long, like, you know, really hours. And you know, I've got this playlist for you, mate. Have a listen. And you look at it, it's like eight hours long. Yeah. Like, no one's got time for that shit. So the horse lips, get this, their, their new box set, rather wonderfully, is called More Than You Can Chew. Yeah. And, they, and they are not joking. Comes out in July. 33 CDs, what? 500 audio tracks, two live DVDs, over 20 hours of unreleased material. Who is that? Okay. Who's so, that aimed at? I mean, the Beatles, obviously, you know, this documentary came out, this brilliant uh, documentary, Get Back. Even like, even with the Beatles, you know, spending that much time <laughs> watching stuff that was sort of would have been on the cutting room floor yeah <laughs> had it not I mean, been put into this film like even that felt slightly i know i'm not supposed to say this but slightly tedious and indulgent at times yeah, but that's well, the beatles yeah i mean you've got a lower lower threshold for beatles than I uh, yeah probably. well yeah i, 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 I was like true. give me more it's like a warm <laughs> roaring remember about louis bath he he described it in in a, a tweet where he said, oh, "It's like having a roaring fire on in the corner, but it's the Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, but it's just this concept of like, you know, all of the stuff. Because I mean, surely if it's a box out of thirty three CDs, that's going to be a lot of stuff that was intentionally considered. Surely, I mean, le- le- twenty hours of previously unreleased material. There must be a reason, yeah, why they've got twenty yeah. hours of stuff they haven't released. Yeah. Considering that I literally only know one song by them, and it's because of Big Jack Charlton <laughs> and you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did have one other song which I can't remember, which was a hit. Well, for them. it's coming out on July twenty twenty two. Yeah, I mean, you I get your pre order in. It's going to take you a while to find it, but I'm sure it's on there somewhere. Wow, that's. That's intense. Well, you know, um, I'm sure I told you this too. I went to school with the the son of their bass mm-hmm. player, Paul. And um, one time I went to a party at Paul's house and his dad put his shang- shamrock-shaped bass guitar over my shoulders and let me hold it and pose it. Wow. Didn't have Instagram back then, sadly. But uh, <sighs> but yeah. Beautiful stuff. So that's the horse lips anyway. Uh, that's just a little quickie for you. You sound totally unimpressed by my 
I've heard it before, mate. You, you, you've done this before. Oh, well, you, you can't wheel me. out that anecdote again. <laughs> Sorry, it's not even a good anecdote. But this is the perfect I time I once to held someone you've never heard of guitar. <laughs> well, now you have heard of the moment. Now I have, now and have. I'll never forget them, that's yeah. for sure. Deb Grant. Um, you over there, far away in London. Tell us what goes around. Oh, um, well, uh, I was asked recently to um, in in to, to to mark St Patrick's Day. I was asked to pick my favourite ever Irish B side, and uh, mm-hmm. I thought it would be quite a fun thing to go back and explore different B sides. Particularly, you know, sometimes it's more fun to find music. Uh, or to, you know, with a task like that, when you have certain mm. restrictions placed on you, it appealed to my sort of nerdy nature. Um, but it was it was really hard. Mm. And it just made me think, like, first of all, I had to keep thinking of Irish bands and thinking of songs that I liked by them and then going to Discogs and checking what the B-side was. And sort of in the era that I'm thinking of, like 60s, 70s, 80s, generally speaking, the B-side was the place where you know, an yes. inferior track would yeah, be right. Bad stuff to. was thrown on the B side. Yeah. yeah, and that has definitely proved to be the case. It was really, really hard <laughs> to find something. Eventually, I picked uh, the B side to the Boomtown Rats Rat Trap, and um, that was only because it was the what, Boomtown. What is it? What is it? What's it called? It's called. It's called So Strange. Oh yeah, no, I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it definitely yeah. stood out among all the dirge I had to play to. Like fucking hell, Tim Lizzie had some. Bad oh, B sides. Yeah, yeah, um, when when you don't see a B side that's ever popped up on like a compilation album or like a best of or a greatest hits or anything or even like a live album, then you know it's all yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, it just made me think about about B sides and it's just so weird the idea that a, a record company would be putting out a single with a track that they knew wasn't very good. <laughs> Yeah. There were some strange ideas in the 60s and 70s, like yeah. because there was that period as well where um, bands would record an album, but they wouldn't put singles on the album because <laughs> it might damage the album sales. Oh, like that was so wrong God. thought. Do you know what I mean? Someone at the record company needs a head slapped for that one. Here's here's a whole album's worth full of stuff that wasn't good enough to be put out as a <laughs> single. Quite the same. But that, I mean, like, that goes right through to the Beatles and things like that. Yeah. You know, there's loads of classic Beatles songs that aren't on any albums. You know, yeah. Strawberry Fields did not appear on an album. You yeah. know, not till ages later. So, you know, that's interesting. But I, I am one for the romance of the B-side because mm. there are a few things more enjoyable, especially when, you know, formative years, when I was young and I didn't have many records and a lot of them belonged to my sister or my brother anyway. And, you know, playing the seven inches, you'd, you'd play these short three-minute songs, you know. And if you found something great on the B-side, it could it was like proper gold, you mm. know what I mean? It was like a, like a gift from the gods. My favourite B-side, I'm going to shoehorn it in because I Go, just... No, don't shoehorn. This is yeah. your perfect opportunity. Not so, like not like me with uh, the horse lips and the shamrock-shaped <laughs> bass guitar. Do you want me to tell yeah, that story again? Let's have that again. Please. Now, um, my favourite one was uh, when Gary Newman reached number one with Our Friends Electric. And that's, that's a tremendous song in mm. itself. But then I turned it over and there's a track on the B-side called We Are So Fragile, mm. which is an absolute punk rock banger i mean it's so good and i can remember turning over and listening to this song and just you know like white knuckle riding all the way through it and getting to the end going my 
God, I, I've basically got that for free. It's like, <laughs> I didn't even really pay for that. Oh, my God. And to this day, it has remained my, my number one B-side. So mm. there you go. Yeah, I'm trying There's to also think. one by Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman did did uh, like a pastiche called The B-Side, which was just dreadful, really. Just, uh, <laughs> As it um, should be. Yeah. I mean, that's what it should be. Like in the case of, uh, of the Gary Newman B-Side, he used that as an opportunity to put something on there that was maybe a bit too mind-blowing to yeah, be a single. Yeah, that's, that's the way to do it properly, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's not just oh, some terrible outcut or, you know, some half-assed jam. It's like, it's a great song, but one they'll never play on the radio. Mm. You know, that's what you want on the B-side. Yes, you want something exactly. that is dangerous, that, that a, a kid can discover when they finally flip that 45. Yeah, and not many Irish bands really <laughs> took that brief <laughs> on board. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go through Val Dunican's single collection. Yeah, see, I mean, it was, it was find. getting, it was getting to that when I was, when I was on my hunt. But Val um, sings the Sex Pistols. Well, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, I would buy, would buy. <laughs> there's a Ronnie Lane single that I remember buying when I was in my obsessive, mod, quote unquote, mod, small faces mm-hmm. obsession phase when I was, when I was maybe twelve, thirteen. What's it called? It's the B side of How Come. Um, oh, done this one before. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that was really beautiful. But again, like I think my my feeling of wanting to squeeze out as much value as humanly possible. Because if you've only on. got twenty singles and you can only spend like you know a pound a week or whatever, mm. then anything with an extra on the on the other side is just a joy. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. Let's dance with cat people on the B side. That was a good one. Ooh, I don't know yeah. that one. Oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So this is, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, and what about the, do you know what, just as a marketing thing, surely it's kind of the antithesis of the double A side. With the B side, you're like, I don't have many good songs. I've got this good one and put this crap one on the other side. Double A side, you're like, I got so many good songs. I can't even limit it to one single. I've just got good songs coming out at the seams here. Have two well, good songs. And of course, there are, there are lots that came out, especially in the, you know, in the, in the old days when you used to get sent at a radio station a physical copy of the Sermonage. There are lots of records that came out where they just played the wrong side and it became a hit. <laughs> yeah. The Jam going underground, that was, that was a B-side. Amazing. And, I thought it was like the, the biggest single ever, wasn't it? It went straight to number one, all this yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, and well, there's a, there was a few other great ones. Um, Peaches by the Stranglers, that was a double A side. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, if you look on the record, it says, this is not the B side. And then you turn it over and it said, neither's this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. What was that? What was going underground a B side of? Uh, Dreams of Children, I think. What I'm the fuck? Think. What's oh. that? <laughs> What we're gonna, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time. That's right. Name that tune. Joining us on the pod today, we have a bona fide music legend, an Afrobeat ambassador, having cut his teeth playing keys in Fela Kuti's Egypt 80, then becoming the band's musical director when Fela was incarcerated in 1984. He has toured his signature politically charged danceable Afrobeat sounds all over the world. Now based in London, he has his own Afrobeat foundation, which he uses to educate along with his role as a visiting lecturer in music and media at London Met. He also continues to play electric live shows with his incredible 15-piece band. 
and has been releasing music on the iconic Wawa 45s label since 2015. We are honoured to have Dele Shasimi sharing his phonographic memories with us today. Welcome, Dele. Thank you, Anne. That was so, um, I don't know, it made me like buzz. I'm like, oh, is that, was that me? <laughs> is that really me? I've stopped, um, I don't do the London Met anymore, but mm. I am now permanently with the Trinity Laban and Rose Bruford College of Performing Arts and Cardiff University. That's uh, amazing. College of Music. So, yeah, that's just the only update. So you're uh, just educating all over the place. Can you, I would love to know what a typical Dele Shasimi lecture is all about. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational nous? Well, Afrobeat uh, needs to be in the academic field, recognized, appreciated, broken down into bite-sized chunks, put back together, so that at least the musicians of today being churned out have an understanding of something that is more modern and quite relevant in the industry today. Mm. And who better to make sure that this knowledge is passed on properly than me with all my experience and my knowledge and wealth of uh, little gems I have to share. Yeah. I, do you do you run a very strict class? Are you like uh, are you like an enforcer? Are you like good cop? Uh, I have a few I have a few enforcement <laughs> things. I, I'll give a, a very Reading between comedic, the lines. <laughs> yeah, very comedic uh, kind of um, example. My first meeting with my group of students. I set the boundaries. I'm like, uh, if my session with you guys is between 12 noon and 3 p.m., I expect that we are ready to kick off at 12 noon. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is late, if you're late for the first 15 minutes, you're buying everyone a round of drinks. (laughs) (laughs) If you're late any more than 15 minutes, you are buying lunch or dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's work miracles because people are read, ready by 11.30, quarter to 12. <laughs> so when I, if I get there early enough, once it's 12 o'clock, we kick off. I said, look, the m- amount of time you're going to spend to be so precious to you, mm. you must take it seriously. So you turning up early is a sign that you are appreciative of the time. And you're going to make the best of the time. But you turning up late means a disrespect, not to me, but to yourself and to your colleagues. So mm-hmm. the first few days, we got had some people late. And they, 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 then one of the days, I was late. Oh. And I noticed no, <laughs> nobody said anything. <laughs> I did That's not say know. a word. But you know what I did? I took everybody to dinner. Good. Good. Man of his word. I like that. I like that. I didn't say anything. Then when we finished the session, I said, well, guys, I know you all didn't say anything, even though I called you to let you know I was coming in late and all that. Late is late and leadership is by example. So Mm. I'm taking you all out to dinner. So we finished the session. Everybody went, yeah, (laughs) leadership by example. Uh, strict timekeeping, you know, never get to your gig late. I start to install, instill it in them from mm. the first time we meet. So, yeah. I mean, you must have um, had, I mean, you've, you've got to have 
a, a strength of personality and great coordination skills if you're going to be the person in charge of holding together what is it a 15 piece band you have oh hell yes i mean you god got- that is a football team and subs Mm-hmm. You've got to know the material in total. Anticipate every corner, every uphill, every downhill. You've got to know the stuff. You've got to be able to see it with your ears and hear it with your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like As you say, who better to be delivering, uh, you know, lectures about Afrobeat than, than someone like yourself who's really lived it? Can you? Talk us through, before we get into your phonographic memories, can you talk us through a, a little bit about your your career and some of the incredible things that, that you've done? Oh, I don't like to big myself up, but to be honest... Please go for it. This yeah, is the place to well. do it. To be honest, when I came to the UK, I didn't plan to come to the UK to be based in the UK. I thought I was coming for a short period. You know, I came to be with my uh, family for some time and um, then I realized well going back is no longer an option and on getting here I realized look you did not grow up in the UK where are you going to start from you're going nobody's going to give you everything you're going to have to fight for anything you get you're going to have to be determined you're going to have to be strong-willed you're going to The confidence you have in your abilities, your experience, it's up to you. You're going to be the one who calls the shots. And I just decided, look, there's no hurry. I am going to take one. Ground zero is better to start from ground zero and walk your way up slowly, step by step. So I started out playing in little pubs, you know. And uh, mainly within the Nigerian circuit. And slowly, I took that template fella had, you need a venue where people know, oh, where can we listen to some good Afrobeat? Where can I actually make a deal with the owner of the venue, where an underground venue, where they need someone to bring people in? So I did all that and I found a nice, lovely place in East London where I was born in Hackney. Yes. Yes. And then I started a midnight to 4 a.m. marathon, four hour live session, (laughs) playing the whole repertoire of uh, Delicious in his writings in conjunction with a little bit of Tony Island, a little and a lot of fella classics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after the first night, the owner was blown away. It was supposed to be a test here. And then he said, look, man, this is good. Let's do it. Let's do, let's do it regularly. And I said, no, it would dilute it if I do it regularly, because it means I won't be able to play anywhere else in London and all that in the big venues like Jazz Cafe, Ronnie's, uh, Pizza Express and all those places. Let me do it once. Uh, every three months. So every January, uh, March, July, September, and November. So we had four events a year. Before you know it, it was the talk of town. It was called mm. Afrobeat Vibration. And we ran it for close to 10 years, four events a year. And then sometimes we take it out, present it at a festival, or present it at a, uh, just take it to Manchester, for example, for a trial 
we did one at Gorilla. And you know, that culture that fella had where you, you come into the club around 11, 11.30, the night builds up slowly. By 2 a.m., it's climatic. All the musicians are in full swing. They're all warmed up, you know, like it's running a marathon. Mm. They're the short sprinters, mid-distance runners, and then they're the long-distance runners. That long-distance thing was the thing for me because that's how I grew up in Felakuchi's uh, Egypt 18. I uh, grew up playing four times a week, minimum six-hour sessions. <laughs> so <laughs> just imagine. Jump, you just jump straight <laughs> in at six hours. Like, hey, I go. tell you, I tell you. I mean, you know, if you had just graduated like I did, I just had graduated from high school, then joined his band. And then I was doing four-hour sessions, you know, once fellas on stage, I'm there, four-hour sessions with him. And then the the, the band do, do overtures before he comes on. So, like, the band would start around 11 p.m. And then fella would join around 12.30, 1 a.m. And then we play till 5 a.m., sometimes 6 a.m. in the morning, depending on how uh, how full the venue is. So if you do that four times a week, live in front of an audience, then two days a week we were rehearsing, Thursday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Only day off was Monday. <laughs> now you know why Tony Allen was so, I mean, adept at what he did in those mm-hmm. 70s recordings because they were playing regularly. He had his own joint. He called the shots. Every night was themed. Tuesday was ladies' night. Everybody was like, yes, please. I'm hoping to get hooked tonight. So there were ladies from all part of Lagos, you know, single ladies and sometimes not single, but, you know, <laughs> ladies come to really party and dance because that was the main thing. Dance and recharge yourself because that music, I realized that for a lot of the punters, it was a healing process for them. Mm. After the after the grueling emotions of trying to make a living, trying to survive, trying to stay alive, you need that place where you can go and just lose yourself in the music, forget the pains, forget, forget the sorrows, just let those beautiful patterns, rhythms, melodies, etc., and chants, let it just heal you, wash you, massage you, and then you come out of there and face the world again with a spring in your mm-hmm. step and be like, I can take it, bring it on. <laughs> and then, you know, weekly like that, you people had their nights. Some people preferred Friday. Some people preferred Saturday. Sunday was the one you could bring your children to. Starts around 2 p.m. and ends at 9 p.m. So, yeah, yeah with that discipline, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed when I when I listen to those recordings because um, there's a, a big connection between like sort of the funk we know that came out of America and the funk that was happening in Lagos. But you guys were doing, you know, 12, 15 minute tracks. I mean, the chemistry between you all must have been insane because how you can hold something down for six minutes and then everyone just get the feeling now we let rip for five minutes and then it's like the vocals and you know that a must take a lot of practice but even beyond practice you must just know each other's game inside out indeed indeed you know there were people who were holding the groove down and then there were people who could on top of that groove lay down Mm. uh 
uh, a, a fella was mainly responsible for laying down all the garnishings. Mm. And when I say garnishings, uh, for example, you have an intro that lasts for like, like two minutes. It takes two minutes, three minutes, four minutes just for that intro. Mm. Like, bang, gang, 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 gang. And that goes on for like three minutes while the fella is just ranting, saying, yes, this is a rhythm <laughs> that I discovered <laughs> when I was walking through the police station. And, um, you know, and he, he's just repeating behind it. And then suddenly he just introduces something. And that is just repeating hypnotically and trancing you immediately. Like, oh, that's a groove. Oh, hello. <laughs> then suddenly Tony Allen just comes in and on the high hat, you know, mm. and you're like, oh, yes, please. Oh, then somebody <laughs> just starts a rhyme in the audience. Tony Allen's name, nickname was Doctor. You're here. <laughs> I just want to get up and start dancing no. now. I don't know about yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, that's just a, a, a snippet. Yeah. of what used to happen in the shrine. Things will happen spontaneously. It may come from somebody in your audience who just shouts, give it to me! And then the next thing, the next time around, somebody else says, give it to me! I'll take it. I'll mm. bring it up. I'll pack it up. Give it to me! I'll take it. You know, Oshago <laughs> means you, you, you smoke the joint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in there is as high as a cat. Not everybody is smoking, but, but because everybody smoke, a lot of people are smoking more than the non-smokers. Whether you're smoking or not, you're already contact high anyway. <laughs> so it sounds like the greatest party of all time. It was. It was. And it was, you know the best part? When you get high, you just want to party. I mean, yeah. on weed. So most of the punters in the shrine were just there to party there were hardly any fights yeah and i realized the same thing when i started this afrobeat vibration in london most of the people that would come were people who wanted to come and party so and the owner of the venue did not really make a killing on a bar mm. by people getting drunk beyond mm. they just wanted a very good workout <laughs> in a good atmosphere with like-minded people and you know you yeah. just made the difference i used to look forward to it every quarter yeah uh, we get to go on stage for like four hours and play initially those who were not used to it they'll be pointing i mean i'm talking about my crew on stage now mm. they'll be pointing at their wrist to me like hey Tell it, check the time. <laughs> and, and on purpose, I never wore a wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> when when you were playing with Fellow, was he kind of like uh, James Brown? Like, because James Brown famously used to just find musicians who got anything wrong oh, on the spot. Um, some of the guys in the band were like two weeks in 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 areas. <laughs> <laughs> So you play the wrong note, you are in trouble. 
This is late. You get a fine. You're late, you get a fine. You're drunk, you, you play the wrong pattern over the song, uh, you're fine. So some there was some guys who just were they were not on it. And sometimes mm-hmm. they would have been fined so much they were two weeks in areas. They're, they're playing, but they're not getting paid because the payment is, is, is going to be settling the fines, you know. I never got funny. You did the work. Well done. Yeah, I bet you didn't. I'm curious about your phonographic memories and how they fit into all of this hard work because it sounds like, you know, you, you were just kind of mainly con- consumed by Afrobeat and playing live and doing these, these, uh, um, these shows for so much of your early musical life. Let's get into it. I'm curious about this first one, uh, which is Trippin' Out by Curtis Mayfield. Talk to us about this track. Trippin' Out. I had friends. I had big brothers that I used to look up to. And one of them was Ricky. Uh, we used to call him Ricky P. Ricky mm-hmm. Manua. He and his group of uh, mates. They were the ones that we used to go to with one 20-minute BASF cassette tapes mm-hmm. and then go through his vinyl and mix tapes. Mm-hmm. So one of the first uh, albums was that Tripping Out album, the one Tripping Out was on. I was just in awe of Curtis. Oh, my God. Superfly, all those series of recordings. I was just totally bowled over by him but then tripping out i picked that one specifically because there was a girl at that point in time and it was so relevant to the way i felt about that girl Mm. and you know for me anytime she was around that was on repeat that's a, a solid gold mood maker, I'm sure, because uh, I let listen to it earlier. And, um, you know, Curtis is a man of many moods and uh, has, has a great range in his music. And that one is just such a lovely late in the evening, smooth as silk tune. It's I just... tell you, if you had designs and intentions, <laughs> and you invite them over for dinner, after you wowed them with your cooking skills <laughs> and maybe it's white wine or red wine afterwards and you just put that on and say nothing the message will get across <laughs> naturally I'm tripping out I'm tripping out over you, babe, over you, babe. I'm tripping out, I'm tripping out over you, babe, over you. Each day I'm not with you is like a day without sunshine. Man, I, I just used to say to myself, Oh, I wish I could write lyrics like that, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then, of course, the whole album, to, to be honest with you, 
the whole album was great, but that stuck out. Mm. And yeah. I wore out my tape such that I had to do, uh, I think, over the period of visiting uh, Ricky, I recorded that, that track again about another like six times because yeah. I wore the tape out. You know how it is? <laughs> the cassette tape. I don't know. Did you guys, did you guys ever do cassette tape? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The tape will now run out because you've rewound it too many times. Yep. You now start to wobble. It's no longer straight anymore or it, it gets caught up and twined. You have to bring it out. Get the pencil make, out. Yeah. Make incisions on a cello tape <laughs> to surgically repair the tape, glue it back together. Oh my! Did you get the girl after wearing the tape out so many times? Did you get the girl? Oh hell yes! <laughs> of course he did. No, of course he did. I Come believe on. it. Oh, I did. I did. He's cut. I'm he's lucky. got the wine out. He's put Curtis on. Oh. In his hands. <laughs> because the next thing is that dance. Come on, <laughs> dance, please. You know, ah. and it's a slow dance. You know, so you can't do a slow dance looking at each other it has to be slow dance yeah. holding on to each other yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's I, getting hot in here now <laughs> <laughs> i have to say uh, that your next track is one of my favorites and i only discovered it in recent times westchester lady by bob james oh. it is it is a hook that I, I didn't know what it was and i don't know where i heard it but in my head, every now and again, it would just go, do, 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 do. And I didn't know where it came from. And it was only maybe five or six years ago that I found it. And what a record. This is beautiful. Tell us about why this one is special to you. Bob James has always been, you know, take me to the Mardi Gras, mm. uh, Westchester Lady, um, BJ4, the album. Oh, man, he's always been. But then... I just chose that Westchester lady because that that particular one is piano playing. You know, towards the end of the recording, mm. just check out his vamps. He's very, mm. and then he adds a little bit of "Take Me to the Mardi Gras." <laughs> you know, during the solo, I just. And me being a piano player, I just, I mean, Fender Rhodes especially, oh, come on. Who would not like, <laughs> like was just a lady, man. Dang. I was just going to say, do you remember how you discovered Bob James? How was he, how did he come into your life? Um, Fella had a library. Uh-huh. Fella, most people do not know that um, Fella's uh, commune, had a DJ rotation 24 hours. <laughs> and then when the, his house was burnt, he moved over to JK's house. And coincidentally, JK and Fella had more or less the same record collections. So when he moved to JK's house, the same thing was more or less this uh, in, in place. There were DJ rotation 24 hours. It wasn't enforced, but there will be times where there was no one there spinning anything, and I would just go through all mm. those vinyls. And it was pure vinyl, mm. no cassettes, just vinyl alone. And I discovered uh, Bob James. It was always one of the first tunes I would play in the day if I wanted to play vinyl. Very careful, place the needle on the exact track, and then just... 
There you go. Anything better than giving permission to go rooting through Felicuti's vinyl? That sounds like a dream dig. Oh, I tell you, let me tell you how rich it was. Have you heard of the JATP series? Mm-hmm. Jazz oh. at the Philharmonic. Philharmonic, yeah, yeah, mm. that's great. Those series where you would actually hear someone like Nat King Cole joining in in the jam session playing a tune like T for two <laughs> with the likes of Red Calendar on bass, uh, Ivan Ashby on guitar, all the Willie, Willie Lyons, Smith, them lot, all playing a massive collection of musicians, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, everybody, Billy Holiday was on those series and musicianship at its top from that era. So he had those series of albums. They were usually double albums. So my, you can imagine me, 16, 17, 18, 19, listening to that. And then of course he had people like um, Sonny Steed. He had uh, Nat, uh, Nat and Cannonball Adderley, you know, the albums. Yeah, yeah. I've mm. played Vanguard, you know, all those albums were there. Then, of course, John Coltrane. Then Wayne Shorter. Uh, of course, he was into Herbie. He was into Bob James. He was into Les McCann and Eddie Harris. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, growing up, it was so rich. And then he still had classics. Oscar the Man Peterson. <laughs> so my listening was very rich. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And fella used to say sometimes, look, your listening, the quality of your listening helps you to build your musicianship. If you've listened to it, you've heard it, it's accumulated somewhere in your memory bank. And as a musician, suddenly it's part of the um, the matrix that forms your persona. As an artist, uh, later on in the future, you may not know it, but don't worry, it's building. The memory just mm-hmm. builds up and it becomes automated when you get to that uh, self-mastery stage where when you want to improvise, you call on all that has ever cursed through your eardrums and then transmit it through your reflexes or your reflective abilities via your either your breath and fingers or just your fingers, how you play the piano, or your your feet and hands if you're a drummer. So, mm. so far, that's that's what probably has helped me yeah. to stay consistent, I think. And do you still listen to jazz primarily? Is is jazz piano something that, that sort of you, you listen to, to to sort of 
uh, inspire you or to, to help you improve or to work stuff out? I still listen to understand where people are coming from, especially. Mm. So I still listen to my jazz. But mm. then again, I still go back home and listen to all those, you know, a cappella rhythm and voice mm. bands from from all all parts of West Africa and other parts of Africa, mainly from Nigeria though, mm. where you're just playing percussive instruments and it's all about rhythm, polyrhythm, call and response, you know, mm. time signature adventures, you know, and yeah, so I keep myself richly diverse mm. and I'm not I'm not choosy, I'm not racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not racist. If it swings, if it grooves, and if it's interesting, I mean, I'll listen to it. You mentioned earlier Eddie Harris and Les McCann, and your third choice is a track called Cold Duck Time. And I watched watched a clip of this earlier. What a, what a lovely swinging piece of music this is. Tell us about this one. This one, I've always known about Eddie Harris because of his contributions to, you know, there was a time he uh, evolved a, a saxophone, electric saxophone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was what made me actually start to pay attention to him. I discovered uh, his collaboration with Les McCann. Les McCann already was already on my radar as a piano player. I loved his style. His style was usually different from a lot of people, you know. When I heard Cold Dark Time, then I read the liner notes. I did some more research. I can't remember where I heard about the fact that that song was a spontaneous create creation it wasn't something that they had been playing for a while it happened live in switzerland and i was like god damn no that's why it feels so real i just felt a connection when i had that i was like this is like it's like a blues but not a blues but it's so soulful it's got a little bit of funkiness to it, but it touches me and it makes me mm, just want to beat, you know? And then when you listen to the solos and then the applause, at some point in time, there's a loud applause. You hear clapping and it's like, the guy just barely started his solo. Does he have fans in the audience? Then I saw the video. Apparently, Ella Fitzgerald walked into the gig. Because it was the Montreal, I think it was the Montreal, yeah. Yeah. it was a festival. Yeah. Yeah. So they were clapping for her because she walked in and sat down right in front. Okay. You know, so everybody saw her and recognized her and they were clapping. Amazing. So I, I said to myself, I wonder how they must have felt when they heard that. They just saw the applause. Yeah, they must have looked each other. Yeah, yeah. We're going to up the game now. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, yeah, we're good, man. We're, we're, we're killing it. We're killing it. <laughs>
Okay. I'm surprised they didn't write a tune later. They said, and then in walked. Yeah. <laughs> Alternative title. Yeah. Love that. It's a it's a lovely lovely moment. I bet for those musicians. Can you imagine that just doing your thing and an absolute legend walking in front of you. Amazing. <laughs> did you did you hear that applause? Well, did you know, I was watching it earlier, and um, I, I, I didn't. I've kind of obviously I heard it, but I didn't really think about it. And uh, now it makes perfect sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Now I get oh, right. Yeah, you, of course. You just hear this applause, and you're like. What was that for? Maybe maybe he's got his his you know his his friends are in the ground tonight. Exactly. <laughs> his solo, you know. Hey. <laughs> I initially thought maybe he did there was something technical in what he did. I kept rewinding. Yeah. This was before I saw the video. I kept, because when you hear live recording and you hear clapping like that, you want to oh did I miss something here? Mm. <laughs> Rewind. Okay, yeah, nice solo, clapping. Uh, what happened? Rewind again. <laughs> Try and look then, plug in earphones to listen very well. Okay, no, I mean, okay, maybe I missed something. So I, I, that was the end of it. Then in came, I'm, this I'm talking about 1980, 81, 82, mm. 83, 84, 85, 86 period, you know, and then now YouTube came. Yeah. And someone uploaded cold dog live i was like god i must see that and then i then i saw ella feature i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine that erica moment it's like i, I knew i wasn't I, I knew i didn't miss it i knew there was something yeah love that so yes that's the story about uh cold up time i mean i mean really? it, it's I could have chosen compared to what? Trying to make it a real compared oh, to what? Very da, 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 da. God Amazing. damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it's always difficult when we we have people on and they, they sort of look at us and go, only three, only three. How can I choose just three? I want I want to choose I ten. Know. It was hard. It was hard. Oh, well, you've changed I would have loved to like uh, to, uh, Etta James, um, Carmen McRae. Those are crooners I really listen to a lot. And then, of course, uh, there's still the Superfly album of uh, Curtis yeah. Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's a uh, Hank Jones combination with uh, Czech TDN. When Hank Jones that did that African collaboration, mm-hmm. where he had Czech TDN check on uh, organ, and he he recorded the album. I think they recorded it in in Senegal. But that's another great album. Um, uh, Hank Jones meets Chick Tidiansek. That's another great album. Hank Jones is a, another genius of a piano player. And then, of course, you cannot forget people like Ahmad Jamal. Yeah. Prince Yana. Ooh, yes. That's, a, that's another one. Dun, I- <laughs> this is making me want to cancel all my plans and I'm away. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming along and sharing these today. They've been really brilliant. And I, I love love to hear the, the amount of enthusiasm you obviously still have for all music. You you really want to just suck all that up, don't you? I mean it it, it shines out of you. It's great to, great to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Have you got any recordings coming up, Dele? Any shows coming up that we should know about? I'm looking to make sure I release the next album next year. I've done a collaboration with um, 
Sam Duckworth. During lockdown, we just decided that, look, uh, when we did the celebration series uh, from 2010, 11, 12, um, we met because we featured him for some songs and we had such a good vibe. We promised each other that, look, we got to do a collab. But from then on, bring on 2019, we were not able, we were busy doing our thing. We just didn't find the time. And both of us have that attitude where if we don't find the time, it's not intentional. It's because mm. the alignment, the cosmic alignment has not happened. Yeah. And then I've collaborated with, you know, Justin Thurgo. Yes. Wow. Just, yeah, I did. I wrote two tracks with him. I co-wrote two tracks with him on his uh, next album about to be released. And um, yes, we that should be, in fact, the CDs are already ready. We are selling them at gigs, you know. Can Ooh, you imagine? Exclusive. But the vinyls have been delayed. Apparently, vinyls. Yeah, so all, all over the place, the vinyl industry. Yeah, all the vinyls, all the vinyl pressing people are oversubscribed. So it's a long way to get your vinyls. So yeah, I've done, uh, I co-wrote two tracks with him uh, on his new album called Many Faces. So that's another one to look out for. Uh, Mr. The re-education of Mr. Authorization. You're a busy man. You got a lot going on. In demand. Yeah. Uh, I try, I try. And then of course, Cardiff University is scheduled for October, uh, October next year. I've got my sessions there again. And of course, I'll I'll be in Sheffield, I'll be in Manchester, 27th of January at the Blues Kitchen. Oh, hell yes. Amazing. That'll mm. be fun. And for all those students looking forward to the new term, don't be late for Jelly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Real number one, of one. The best, one of the best things for me is when I get to do these events where I then pick a handful of students who have been very impressive during my sessions with them to come and feature with me, give them a taste of what the big stage is like, wow. you know, uh, performing in front of a, a sold out venue. So I always try to do that because you never know. I just say, look, come, come, come sitting with me, you know, and then they come and join me in one or two songs and get a feeling of, you know, and I always tell them, I say, look, there's a chair waiting for you. If any of my team, is uh, indisposed for a gig. If you've done your homework, I'll give you the call, man. You know, these kids. I hope they know how lucky they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they do. I think they. Seems do. like they do. <laughs> Dele, what a what a pleasure it's been chatting to you. Thank you for making time to do this amongst yeah. your crazy busy schedule. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you live in 2022 and and uh, and hearing the new album. Definitely, definitely. Thank, Thank you for being on today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And let's do it again very soon. Because yes, we only chose three. Yeah. <laughs> we, have to do, we have to do the next phase. <laughs> We 
really hope you enjoyed this episode of What Goes Around featuring the brilliant Delacia Simi. We have some amazing guests still to come on the podcast over the coming weeks and months. So if you like the podcast, why don't you subscribe? Subscribe. And uh, you could also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. Uh, Or if you really love the podcast or if you were indifferent about it, but you feel like you know someone who might like it, please pass it on to friends, family, everyone. Word of mouth is how this podcast gets spread around. And if you'd like to do something for us, that's the best thing you could possibly do. So please share.